Turn with me while the kids are headed out to Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 20. And I want to, we're in a series where we're looking at, uh, we're calling it foundations, and we're looking at some truths that are going to be foundational that in guiding us and directing us, not only individually, but corporately as a church, as we move forward. And, and these truths will be sort of the, the lens, if you will, that we filter or the filter through which we filter everything that we do and, and, and how we steward our resources, what we pursue, those types of, of things. I mean, yesterday, um, just as a pastor uh, with, with 30, 40 others just helping Miss Gail Smith out was a blessing just to, to see. I mean, uh, James 1, 26 and following, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit widows and orphans in their distress. Pure and undefiled religion. Sacrificial mercy. And, and everything that we about, what I want us to see in this series and what I want us to be about as a church, not only individually who comprise the church, but corporately, is that this is not primarily about us. What we do, it is, it is not primarily about us. It is to the glory of God. It is about the glory of God. And we are privileged, we are blessed to be able to be a part of that. And, and last week we, we looked at what was acceptable and unacceptable worship and we, we talked about the first and the best, that if God was going to receive our worship it had to be the first and the best. And I want to build on that today to show us that, that worship is not optional. Really that we were saved to be worshipers. And, and I want to help us to see even the bigger picture of what's going on right here at this hour, when we gather corporately to worship, I want us to see the bigger picture of even what God is doing even here, even beyond what we see. There's something going on right now that makes what we're doing right now especially special. If I ask you today, I thought about this question, if I ask you today why God saved you, why did God send Christ to die and make a way for you to be redeemed, forgiven of your sin, what would your answer be? Think about that. If, if I ask you, why did God save you? What would your answer be? Why, why did He do that? And here's, here's why I want to filter this answer. Is your answer more about you? Or is your answer more about God? Does your answer primarily have to do with you? Or does your answer to that question have more to do with God? That's what I want to see today. I want us to look today. I, I want us to understand that God and His glory is at the center, was at the center, will always be at the center of what He's doing in and through you. God, God put His Son on a cross to die for our sins for His glory. That, that He would take a bunch of wretched sinners and make them His own people. That He would adopt them redeem them, reconcile them, justify them, forgive them, give them a hope and a future and inheritance that will never fade away. He did that for His glory. He didn't do that for my glory. He didn't do that for your glory. He, he didn't do that to make much of it. He did that for His glory, and that's what I want us to see today. And, and so when we see in passages such as 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God, you can, we'll understand why that is so, because God is doing everything to His glory. He Himself. 
A couple weeks ago, the, the verse that I was memorizing for that week was Isaiah 42.8. Listen to what Isaiah 42.8 says. It says, I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not share my glory with another, nor my praise with graven images. He says, I'm the Lord. That's my name. I will not share my glory with another, nor will I share my praise with graven images. Listen to me. God is not in the business of sharing His glory with anything, including you and me. It's all about Him. The, the fact that He would take a wretched people, a bunch of sinners, and make them His people, it just speaks to His glory. And I want us to help us to see that biblically. So that, 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 whole th that may not sit well with some of us right now. But I want to show us why. I want to show us the biblical reality behind that. The big picture of why we were saved and form a context that, that clearly states why we are to do everything to the glory of God. And the answer that I want us to put forth today, the answer that I want us to see today is this. Because we are His and we exist for His glory. We are the people of God. He is the King. We are His subjects. We, we are to bring Him glory and make much of the King before a watching world. That, that's our role, to help draw people to Christ and, in, and that they would enter into His kingdom through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as Clay clearly portrayed this morning through our worship. Our salvation is, 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 prime, is ultimately to reflect people back to God, to show the awesomeness of our God. And I want to do that. Let me read Colossians 1, because Paul here in Colossians 1, verses 13 through 20, this is one of my favorite passages in, in all the Bible. It's rich. You could do an entire series here. And what Paul puts forth is the incomparable Christ, the incomparable, the incomparable Christ. He says, verse 13, for he, read it, read it, if, if, you, if you have your own Bible there today or your phone or whatever, read it with me. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Talking about status, he's preeminent. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Listen, all things have been created through him and for who? For him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body of the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have what? First place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of, the cro of His cross. Through Him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. I, I, I want us to see today some truths from, from this passage and, and truths that hopefully we can apply directly to our lives that, that we would we would live this Christian life to the purpose that it was intended, not only individually but corporately. And, and the first truth, you'll see them on your handout, the primary objective behind our salvation is that we are to be worshipers of God by displaying His glory before a watching world. Worshipers of God. 
that we'd be worshipers of God by displaying His glory. For, again, for He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers. All things have been created through Him and for Him. Christ and His Father are supreme. Christ and His Father are supreme. We have been saved to bring glory to the Father. Verse 20, And through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, reconciled to God through the work of Christ. Our freedom and transfer is to God. It, we're not free to ourselves. He didn't just set us free and didn't just say, Hey, you're, you're free, just go run free. No, we, He set us free to Himself. He transferred us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom where Christ is supreme. We're now citizens of that kingdom. We're not simply set free to ourselves. We've been transferred from the rule of Satan to the rule of Christ. And think about this. You see it on your hand now. The supreme objective in our salvation is an eternal display of God's glory. And hang with me here. I'm, I'm going I'm to say some things that may not... I, I want to be very clear. I want you listening. I don't want people running out of here. Communication is a difficult thing. I hear regularly people come out and say, I appreciate you preaching on this. I'm like, I didn't preach on that. I don't know what you were listening to. Hey, Chris, I love it when you said this. I'm like, I, I got the transcript. I didn't say that. So to listen very carefully. I, I want us to see that our salvation is more than just about your sin being forgiven. It's more than simply being forgiven. I'm afraid many of us view our salvation that way. That Again, primarily about ourselves and not about God. And we become central. We become supreme in salvation. And I'm afraid that's where we get sideways in our thinking. We make the mistake of looking at our salvation, our sin being forgiven as primarily about us. And guess what? When you do that, then your freedom becomes primarily about who? Us. And our lives become primarily about who? Us. The, the difference is this, and that's why I quoted Isaiah 42, 8. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not share my glory with another, nor my praise with graven images. God sees our salvation as a display of His glory. The focus is Him. We, we, we have to fight the urge to make ourselves central. God is central and is to be central in all areas of our lives. His glory. And, and I believe wholeheartedly that this affects our worship. It affects whether we come here or not. It affects how we live out there. It affects everything about our lives. Who is central? Who's central? But you see it on your hand now. God saves people so that they would worship and declare the greatness of God throughout the world. Not that they would go off free and live for themselves in their own glory. That's not why He saved you. Luke 19.10 says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. In John 4 verse 23 it says, For such a people the Father seeks to be His worshipers. He is seeking and saving the lost to be worshipers of Him. All, and you see this all throughout the Scripture. Everything in Scripture, it points to a salvation where God produces and seeks to produce worshipers in His people. The primary reason 
We are redeemed. Listen, this is where, again, I don't want us to get sideways. Don't, don't, please listen to me. The primary reason is not just to escape hell. Please, it's not just to escape hell. It doesn't, what I'm not saying, that I'm not saying that that's not a real benefit to your salvation. It absolutely is a real benefit. What I'm saying is even that's not primary. It's more than just salvation. It's more than just escaping hell or more than just, oh, I'm going to heaven. And I hear that all the time. People, people evangelize and they go up to somebody and he's like, do you want to go to heaven? Well, who doesn't want to go to heaven? Do you want to go to hell? Yeah, sign me up. That's not the, that's, you're not sharing the right gospel. All, all throughout Scripture. And, and, I, and my fear is, is that's where many believers have been taught this. And listen, your walk with Christ ends at a decision. I prayed a prayer. Look, I have my insurance. I'm going to heaven. Why do I need to be discipled? Why do I need to study the Word of God? Why do I need to go to church? I've already got my ticket. That, that's, not, that's not the essence of salvation. We think, well, I'm not going to hell. Now I'm good to go. I can do whatever I want to do. That, that's not our freedom either. Salvation, in that sense, it becomes an event rather than a walk. John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that you may know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom He sent. It's a relationship. It's a walk. It's knowing God. It, it, it's not an event, necessarily. Salvation is so much more than simply missing hell. And, and this is where, again, this is what leads us to not seeing discipleship, not seeing study our Bible, not seeing memorizing Scripture, not even seeing why, what we do here is important. Why? Because I'm missing hell. I'm not going to hell. What does it matter? I've, already, I've got my insurance. That's not, that's not the essence of salvation in that sense. That's not the right view. And, and because then, why do we need to grow? Why do we need to walk worthy? Because I'm going to heaven regardless. That's, that's not the biblical essence here. Jesus was sent by the Father, you see it on your handout, to seek and save for the specific purpose of producing a worshiping people. And, 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 and I'll illustrate it this way. Think about marriage. I thought about this this week. How do I try to help, help us picture this? Did, did you get married just to have an awesome ceremony that everybody would talk about? Or did you get married to spend the rest of your life with someone? It was with someone. It, lots of people. But listen, in America, lots of people. John Cordova, I kidded him this morning, ironically. He walked in with four girls. I said, John, I hope you're saving up because that's a lot of weddings. But, but again, in, in America, we spend huge amounts of money on a wedding, when, listen to me, the marriage is what's central. You, you, can, you can spend $200,000 on a wedding. It don't mean you're going to have a good marriage. You go down to courthouse and nobody even knows you got married. It's a relationship. It's not an event. The joy of being married is spending your life relating with another individual. Giving, even giving glory to God. We, we've talked about that. Marriage design, God could have designed it in any way, and instead He created it. One man, one woman for one lifetime. Why? It was a picture, Ephesians 5, of how Jesus Christ loves His bride, the church. But, but, but when we see it, you know, it, again, if we see salvation, hey, I showed up at the altar. I mean, imagine going home today and your wife said, hey, do you love me? Well, I'm, I'm, Karen, on June 28th, I married you. What do you mean I love you? No, no, it's every day. 
It's an everyday relationship. And the main, listen, the main purpose and goal of our salvation, listen, is not even to receive the blessings of God. Though, again, those are great. Blessings come with salvation. But what I'm saying is don't miss the giver of those blessings for the blessing. Don't trade in the relationship with the giver of the blessing for the blessing. Don't be like the little child who on Christmas Day has no clue who gave them the Tonka truck, doesn't even care. They just care that they got a truck. And what do you do? you got to slow kids down. Okay, who's that from? Who gave that to you? If you're like my wife, she's writing it all down so she can send thank you cards and all this stuff. Kids don't care. Don't, don't, don't forsake a relationship with God by pursuing the, only the blessing. It, this is not a come to God and get type of salvation. We get God. The, the joy of salvation, the blessing of salvation is I have a relationship with God. And again, think about marriage. Marriage in and of itself, it's more than, it's, you, didn't, it, you didn't get married just for the benefits. Some of you might have. Biblically, biblically, and that's again, that's where things get sideways. Because when we, when we get married for the wrong reasons, guess what? When those reasons dry up, you know what we do? We go to look for those reasons in somebody else. See, it's not about the blessings. It's about the relationship. And, and again, if you get married for the blessing thing, and oh, she's going to cook for me and clean for me, and he's going to do this, and he'll always look like that, and he'll always do it. Wrong. Listen, I don't mean to bust your bubble, but the best any of us looked was probably on our wedding day. That was probably the best you're ever going to get out of us. I mean... Ladies, y'all spend, I don't even want, no, no, I'm just, I'm going to get in trouble. That's how I end up having sex. Guys, too, working out, watching what you eat. Body just starts going downhill after that. I heard in places last night, that I told Karen, I said, I'm getting old. I, I heard in places I didn't even know I could hurt. I mean, our kids come in, hey, Daddy, can, can we go swimming? There's not a chance in the world I'm getting out of this chair. I'm just telling you on the front end, there's not a chance in the world I'm getting out of this chair. Except to go to bed. What? I'm tired. But again, it's not in the benefits. The, the merit, Karen, it's the relationship. Even in marriage, though, the, the possibility, the opportunity to worship God, to bring glory to God, how I serve Karen and how she serves me. That's marriage. And, and in salvation, what God is doing is transforming sinners into worshipers. He's transforming sinners into worshipers. And again, it's not about you and me. And we as a church have to understand we're not central to this whole picture. And we, that is culturally so counterculture to our society. The hero to the story of mine and your salvation is God. It's God. He's the hero. He's the focus. He's the essence and the source and the goal of all the glory. Our being saved was meant to point people back to God. And all the blessings that we see from salvation are ultimately rooted in giving glory back to God. And again, if you were to look at Romans 1, Paul said this, We preach obedience of faith among the Gentiles for His name's sake. Why did Paul share the gospel? For God's name's sake. 
If you go to 3 John verse 7, missionaries were sent out for the sake of the name. Again, it wasn't about man. Listen to some other, just quickly, some other passages just to show you the centrality of God and His glory in everything that God does. Isaiah, just you can write these down. Isaiah 43 verse 25. I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions. Listen to this. For my own sake. Think about that. Who did God, who did, God wiped out Chris Basham's transgressions. For whose sake? For his sake. That he would, he says, and I will not remember your sins. It was for his glory. It wasn't for my glory. Listen, listen to Psalm 25, 11. Just so you'll see how, I mean, we could go on and on for hours just reading these passages. Psalm 25, 11. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, it is great. Pardon my iniquity for whose glory? Mine or yours? God's. Psalm 79.9. Let me read a, a couple others. 79.9. Help us, O God, of our salvation for the glory of your name and deliver us and forgive our sins for your name's sake. Again, not about Chris Basham. I'm not primary. He, he's not doing what he's doing for my glory. Psalm Jeremiah 14, verse 7. Although our iniquities testify against us, O Lord, act for your name's sake. Act for your name's sake. Verse 20 and 21 of the same chapter. We know our wickedness, O Lord, the iniquity of our fathers, for we have sinned against you. Do not despise us for your own name's sake. Do not disgrace the throne of the glory. Remember and do not annoy your covenant with us. If, if you were to go, you say, well, that's all Old Testament. Well, let's go over to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verse 25 and, and, and 26. Whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation, talking about Christ and His blood through faith, this was to demonstrate His righteousness, because in the forbearance of sin, He passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I'd say, of His righteousness at the present time, so that He would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. Who did God do that to? For, for His name's sake. The point I'm making, and, and for the sake of time, we'll, we'll stop there. Our salvation is first and foremost about God's glory, not our own. That's the point. It doesn't mean that there's not blessings involved. Don't get me wrong there. Clearly there are blessings. But this is foundational, again, to why we could sing it as well, even in the midst of trouble. Why? Because it's not about my comfort and glory, ultimately. It's about God's glory. And if God's getting glory, you know what? Job 1.20, naked I came into the world, naked I, I came out. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Guess what? Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's well. Why? Because it's not about my health. It's not about my happiness. It's not about my, it's not about my security. If we come to God for those things and they're taken away, you know what's not? It's not well. If we come to God about our glory and to make much of ourselves and that's not happening, it's not well. Because we're, we're fishing in the wrong pond. Prime, salvation is primarily about God and His glory. And if we would get this settled in our hearts, that just the, 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 the reality of what I'm saying here, this, that, listen, suffering, hardship, trouble, times of the unknown, even the good times, the reality that God is conforming us, Romans 8, that He is conforming us in those times to the image of His Son, 
that he would get glory. It would change how we go through those things. Why? Because God, if you're getting glory, I'm fine. That's a different mindset. And what I want for us as a church is to understand and adopt, you'll see it on your handout, the mindset that fuels us to seek God, seek God before we seek anything from Him. Seek the person of God before we seek anything from Him. Above all else, what we want, we want to seek God and His glory. The Christian life is about making much of the giver of the gifts, not the gifts. It's about the giver. And again, only here will we be able to suffer well, persevere in persecution without being drawn away because ultimately those things aren't why we're following God. It's Him who we desire, not the blessings. So guess what? You could take away the blessings, I still have Him. You think, and again, think about the picture of marriage. For better or worse, for richer or poor, for sickness and health. You know what? You know what I said to Karen on June 28th of 03? You can take all that junk away. I still got you. You can take all that junk away. It's me and you. That's the, that's the essence of marriage. So are there blessings? There are certainly blessings. Do I want to go down that road? I don't hear me. I'm not eager to go down that road. Not, I'm not trying to go down that road, but I, before hundreds of people, I said, Karen, it's not about all that other stuff. It's about you. It's about me. It's a relationship, a picture, a covenant. And, and hear me, when I got married on June 28th, I, I, didn't have a, I wasn't thinking about all that other stuff, to be honest with you. Probably didn't even realize it. But Mark 6, I mean, Matthew 6, again, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added. All these things come after you seek first His righteousness and His kingdom. You make much of God and you're going to get your blessing. That's why Jesus in Matthew 6, when the Pharisees, they, when they prayed, they made sure everybody knew it. When they fasted, they made sure everybody knew it. When they, when they offered, they made sure everybody knew it. Why? They were doing it for man's award. And there's a, there's a phrase in there that is striking. Jesus says, to be sure they have received their reward in full. Listen to me. They were living for man's glory and man's attention and man's honor. You know what Jesus says? They got it. I, I'm, I'm off the hook. I don't have to bless them because they weren't living for my blessing. They were living for man, and guess what? They got man's blessing. You got your reward in full. Everything for us revolves around the king and his glory, not the benefits of the kingdom. If, if we would make much of God, the blessings, again, they will come. But, but, but again, it's about making much of the king. God is seeking in saving people. He is seeking true pure worshipers to show off His glory before a watching world. And we must see ourselves that way. That we are here for His glory and not our own. That His glory is supreme. Listen, all of history, if you go to Revelation, all of history will culminate with people from every tribe and every tongue at the foot of Christ doing what? Worshiping. 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 That's the, that's, the church I, that's the church I want to help us become. And led by me, that's what I want to become. It's where it's all about Him. 
It's not about us. That, that we will steward our resources, not, that we have a, not so we have all these comforts to come worship in, but that we would fuel our, that we would steward our resources for the glory of God, that we would pursue things for the glory of God. Not, not that we can't have a building that has air, but that we would not spend a ton of resources on ourselves. We, we would spend them in our comforts. We would spend them on the glory of God. So secondly, this passage teaches us in Colossians 1 this, not, not only that, that are, we are to be worshipers, that God is seeking worshipers, but that our worship of the one true God is fueled by our redemption and the forgiveness of our sin. And again, think about marriage. The fact of all the men that Karen could have chose, and she walked down the aisle to meet me. That's a pretty big deal. The, 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 our, our worship is fueled. Look, you look at... You look at what he says in verse 13 of Colossians 1. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Karen, in saying I do, took me from friend to husband. There was a total status change. As she brought me into her family, I brought her into my family. Transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Our worship flows from having been transferred out of the kingdom of Satan, of darkness, which, which what we get there is death, hell, and the grave, into the kingdom of the King of Jesus Christ, who we get eternal life and redemption. Re the word redemption, you'll see it on your handout. It is this deliberation or being set free due to a satisfactory payment being made. It requires a payment. And in our case, the payment... The redemption from our sin and the consequences was the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Th think of it in this way as a ransom payment. A ransom payment. Matthew 20, 28 says, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. It's a ransom payment. Yet, listen, and you think about a ransom. Suppose... Suppose someone kidnapped one of my children, either Bradley or, or Sarah Grace. I would be, as a father, I would be obligated. I would have every reason in the world to find a way, whatever it took, to pay that ransom. If I paid that ransom and set them free, I'm not sure any of you would say, man, Chris Basham is a gracious dude. No, 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 that's my child. There, you would think less of me if I didn't do that. I mean, there's an obligation there. But, but think about this. In God's case, when He ransomed us, there, there was no obligation there. We weren't worthy of it. We didn't deserve it. It was all grace. He, he was not obligated, if you will, to crucify His Son. He would have been no less God just to let us, let us continue in our sin and go to hell. He would, that wouldn't have compromised his character. We deserve it. I mean, you hear the question, well, how can a holy God let people go to hell? The bigger question is how can a holy God let any one of us go to heaven? That's the question. In my arrogance and in my pride, I, I act, see, if I, for me to accuse God and say, how could a good God let someone go to hell? You know what? I mean, that's arrogant and pride thinking I don't deserve hell. I deserved to bust hell wide open in my sin. And God in His grace crucified His Son and drew me to Himself. 
that, that I would not suffer his own son, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, 20, 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. He knew no sin. And yet he became sin for us. It was completely out of mercy and grace that God would purchase a people that were alienated. Romans 5, 8. While we, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Grace. Undeserved, and he pursued us. It, you see a picture of the, the greatness of, of the grace of God in 2 Peter 2.1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies. Listen to this. Even denying the master who bought them. Christ's death was sufficient even for those false teachers. Denying the master who bought them. Redemption. That's why 1 Corinthians 6, 19, he says, Or do you not know that you are not your own, brethren? You have been bought. Therefore, you have been bought. Therefore, glorify God in your body. He bought you. He redeemed you. You're not your own. You have been transferred into the realm of the King of Kings, the kingdom of His beloved Son. And we exist, we exist, our mission is not about us, it's about glorifying the king. And again, the, 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 there are some passages I want to look at just to picture what God has done, just, in, in, just to picture the greatness of what God has done. Think about Galatians 3.13. Listen to this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Christ became a curse for us. Again, he knew no sin, and yet he became a curse for us. It says, cursed is every man who hangs on a tree. Acts 20, verse 28. Listen to this. Be on guard for, you, for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Again, I quoted for you Matthew 20, 28 a minute ago. He, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. We've been redeemed. Our redemption is the fuel for our worship. You, you see that all throughout Scripture. In, in Titus 2, 14, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession. It's about God. It's about God. And you'll see on your handout just three truths real quickly about redemption that fuel our worship. Our worship, if we see our sin as little, you know what our worship will be? It'll be little. That's why in, in, in Timothy, Paul says that it is a trustworthy statement deserving full, accept, full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners of whom I am the chief or foremost. Paul had great worship. Why? Because he knew that he had great sin that had been forgiven. But, but some truths, real quick on your handout, that, that fuel worship. We have been redeemed from something. Okay, from something. Namely, sin and its consequences. Redeemed from something. But you, you've also been redeemed by something. Namely, the payment of Christ's blood through death. But, but not only that, you have been redeemed to something, namely to Jesus Christ to serve our King and use your freedom as a slave for His glory. 
you have been redeemed to do that. And, and again, if, if, we would get, if we would get this concept down, this truth down, that we have been redeemed to His glory. Again, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, huge. Whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. I, I'm, I, you want to talk about application? That, that principle, that truth, that concept would change everything about your life, that you exist for the glory of God. That, that truth speaks to every single moment of every single one of your days and every single circumstance that you find yourself in. That principle will guide you to the will of God. Do whatever you do to the glory of God. Listen to me. When you're home alone on the computer, the glory of God dictates what you look at. When you watch TV, the glory of God dictates what you watch. When you're texting, when you're Snapchatting, and when you're doing all these other cool, uh, all these things that these kids do these days, guess what? What governs you is not what is acceptable. What governs you is the glory of God. The music you listen to, the glory of God. What you wear or don't wear is not about being cool or getting guys to look at you or girls to look at you. It's about the glory of God. When, when you're with your boy or your girlfriend and you wonder how far is too far, the glory of God tells you how far is too far. It's the glory of God. Your words, your actions, what you do, what you don't do, all dictated by the glory of God. How you use your money, the glory of God. How you use your time, the glory of God. That one truth. If we would focus on that, if I, if I would filter everything through that, if I would discipline ourselves, all going back to our redemption, I have been bought with a price. I'm not my own. I've been bought. God is, God is doing something in me. He is producing a true worshiper of the one true God where there's a sinner. Redeemed, forgiven, justified, one day glorified. We have been saved for the purpose of bringing God glory. And our redemption is the foundation upon which our worship is based. And you see this real quickly. Time is... Time is growing short, but in Exodus, I want to give you a picture. Very clear picture. Turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus 8. The, the, to show us real quickly a clear picture that our worship is, is based on our redemption, on our having been set free. In chapter 8, uh, you see God is beginning this process of, of, of Pharaoh setting his people free. And the, in verse 1, God, the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Let my people go. Look at verse 1. Why, why is God freeing them? Let my people go. Why? That they may serve me. Don't let them go for their own good, necessarily. That's not the primary objective. Let them go that they must serve me. Look, look down in verse 8. Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he remove the frogs from me and from all my people, and I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. Look, look at over in verse uh, 20. The Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning, present yourself before Pharaoh as he comes out of the water, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. In chapter 9, verse 1, Let my people go that they may serve me. Chapter 9, verse 13, Let my people go that they may serve me. Let my people go. Look at verse 14, For this time I will send all my plagues on you and your servants and your people so that you may know there is no one like me on the earth. 
Look, you go down to chapter 10. Let my people go that they may serve me. Again, the primary, glory, the primary reason and function behind their exodus was not for their own freedom. It was that they could serve the one true God. The primary purpose behind our salvation is, we, you go to Romans, we have been freed so that now we are able to serve God where in our sin we could not. We have been set free to Him and His worship. Paul says the same thing we've looked at in Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as holy and living and sacrifices to the Lord, for this is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed any longer to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and perfect and acceptable. He spends 11 chapters talking about redemption. The very first thing he says when he talks about application is this, serve the Lord. Present your bodies to God as a spiritual... You want to know how we worship today? By presenting our bodies to God. Day by day by day, moment by moment. We are in God's kingdom. We have been transferred to God's kingdom. You know what he's saying? Live in such a way that that conforms to that kingdom and that brings honor and glory to the king of that kingdom. We, We have to see our lives that way. We, we belong to a king who loves us and set us free through the death of his son. Worship that king. We have been redeemed, we have been set free so that we could worship God rightly, not so we could live for ourselves. Not that we could just say, well, I'm, I'm not going to hell. Hey, I'm going to heaven, I can go live. That's not the purpose. That may be a benefit, but that's not the purpose. So I hope that we would be a people that sees our salvation this way, that, that our worship, when we come in here, we're overwhelmed with the fact that God would save us. Overwhelmed with the fact that God would crucify His Son, that whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord could have their sins forgiven. As Psalm 103, 12 says, they could have their sins separated from them as far as the east is from the west. Blotted out. As Isaiah says, though your sins were as scarlet, they will be white as snow. That we have been transferred from the realm, from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And that we would evaluate everything through the glory of God. Lastly, as we close, lastly. So, So why do we gather? You say, well, you know what, Chris, I could do all that at home. I could do all that on my own. I... I why do we gather? And that's what I want to speak to here in, in, in point number three. We gather regularly to encourage one another to hold fast to our confession in Christ alone for our redemption and forgiveness of sins and to encourage each other to live to the glory of God. What, what we are here to do today is to encourage each other with the truths that we see week in and week out. To live to the glory of God to persevere, to not get distracted by the things of this world, to encourage one another, to rejoice with one another, to weep with one another. We're family. We're encouraged, encouraging each other to make Christ preeminent, to, to make Him supreme in all things, to live every single area of our lives to the glory of God. That's why we gather you look throughout Scripture, all throughout Scripture, you see a picture of God assembling, assembling His people together to meet with Him, to worship, and to hear the Word of God 
opened and read. If you, if you were to go to Nehemiah 8.1, it says this, And all the people gathered as one man in the square before the water gate, and they opened up the book. And as soon as they opened up the book of the law, everybody stood up, began to lift their hands in praise, and began to shout, Amen, Amen. Then you would see a people who fell down with their faces to the ground. And for hours, you know what they did? They stood up and they kneeled. They stood up and they kneeled. They stood up and they kneeled before the one true God. Chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10. I mean, if you think I go long, go, go listen to Nehemiah. Hours and hours. And what you'll see in that, it was a powerful time of praise. It was a powerful time of leading to the, hearing the word of God. It was a powerful time of confession. It was celebrating redemption. Celebrating redemption. That's what we're doing here. Together, we're celebrating the fact that our sins have been forgiven. Those of us here today that are believers in Jesus Christ alone, our sins have been forgiven. We're celebrating that. And in a very real sense, that we're picturing that's what it means to be a part of the people of God. And again, all throughout the Old Testament, it was patterned that way. And that's why when you get to the New Testament, you see the word ecclesia. It means a, a, a called out group. It means a gathered group. It literally means assembly. The church, the church is an assembly, a gathering of God's people. You are the church. This building is not the church. We're not going to church. We're going to worship. We're going to gather with other believers. You and I are the church. And, and guess what we do? We gather to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We gather to hear the word spoken. If you were to go to Hebrews 10, phenomenal passage just specific to that. Hebrews 10, verses 23 and 25, talks about the, the greatness of our God. But he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Verse 23, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to loving good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Again, Context is huge. Context. Hebrews is a book about the superiority of Christ. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is speaking to a group of Jews who are believers in Jesus Christ and in the face of persecution, they're in danger of going back to Judaism to avoid being persecuted. And for 10 chapters, the writer of Hebrews makes one point and it's this. Christ is superior. Christ is is superior. He says that Christ, the new covenant in Christ is superior to the old covenant. Christ is the superior sacrifice. He's better than all the animals. He's superior to angels. He's superior to Moses. He's superior to angels, to, to Aaron, I meant. He's superior to Joshua. He's the, he's the perfect priest. He's the perfect king. He's the perfect sacrifice. He's the perfect prophet. He's better than all the priests. He says all those priests used to sacrifice day by day. And you know what we see in chapter 10? Jesus Christ offered a sacrifice one time and it was good forever. Christ is superior. For ten chapters, you see that. He's the better mediator. He has a better covenant, better sacrifice. What he's telling the Hebrews, is, the, the Jews there is this. Christ is superior. Where would you turn? To whom would you turn? Who do you have in heaven but Him? And what he's saying is there is Christ is worthy. Hang in there. Be faithful to your king no matter what. And then, interestingly enough, immediately after he says that, you know what he does? 
Again, this is where context is huge. He goes to chapter 11. You know what he does? He gives them a genealogy of their own heritage of people who did not forsake Christ, who did not turn away, who trusted God even when it made no sense to do so. Chapter 11 is there because it is to encourage the Hebrew believers not to turn back. This isn't just a a random list of, of names and things. Again, by faith, by faith, by faith, it's all faith even to their own death. That's why he culminates and says, some were sawn in two, they were stoned, they were tempted, they were put to the sword. But you know what they did? They never turned back. They never wavered from their confession in Christ. That's what we do as a church. When we gather here, we're encouraging one another. I know every single person in here has stuff. You know what we're saying? Christ is superior. What we're saying is Romans 8.18, that the present sufferings are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed in us. What we do as a church is so that when one of our own has a need like Miss Gail Smith had, we rally around and we meet it. When one of you have a need, we rally around and we meet it. When you need someone to weep with you, we weep with you. When you need somebody to rejoice with you, we rejoice with you. Why? Because that's what the church is. You know what we say? Christ is superior. He's superior. That's the theme of what we do here. And, and, but there's so much more, and, and, and the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't forsake that. And, and again, if you were to go over Hebrews 12, there's even so much more than what meets the eye. He says in, in chapter 12, verse 18, For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and to a blazing fire, and to darkness and gloom and whirlwind, and to a blast. He goes on to talk about, for they cannot bear the... He, he talks about the greatness of, of, of the assembly, and he says this, When you gather together, church, when you assemble... In a very real sense, you are joining with a heavenly assembly of all the angels, every, all the saints from all the ages who have gone before you to give glory to God. There's so much more that's going on right now that you and I do not see that's a part of our gatherings. Around the clock today, guess what? All over the world, Christians are going to be gathered, setting aside everything else to worship the one true God. It's a picture it's, it's a picture to the world that it's a privilege to be a part of the kingdom of God. You see that on your handout. And what he's saying is don't forsake the privilege. Don't treat it lightly. And we have a huge tendency, again, to treat it lightly and to forget this. To let worship become optional or unnecessary or all about us. That, that what we're doing in this room just becomes rote and routine, and we lose sight of the fact that we are doing something so awesome, so distinct, different than anything else in the world. And it's a privilege to be counted among the worshipers of God. That's what we're saying today. It's a privilege. And again, is God with you all, all week? We, yes, absolutely. He is with you. But... There is something amazingly uh, just testimonial and spectacular when God's people gather together. God's people gather together. It's a testimony to a watching world that, listen, that God is more important than everything else. There's tons of things that all of us could be doing right now. And you know what we're saying by being here to a world? God is more important. God is more important than all of that. And listen to me, when we skip church, For whatever reason, we're in danger. We run the risk of telling the world that that's not true, that He isn't the most preeminent thing in our lives. 
We run the risk of telling the world that there are more important things than the worship of our God. That's what we run the risk. And as painful as that is to hear, it is, it's true. At that moment, you're saying there's something more important than God. And when we gather, what we're doing is we're joining millions and millions and all the believers who have gone before us and will come after us, and we're sounding the praise corporately of the one true God. I mean, you think about what God must think about Sunday. Around the clock, all day, all over the world. You know what people are doing? Praising His name. You know what eternity will be like? Around the clock, praising His name. Every tribe, every tongue. You know what happens today? Every tribe, every tongue. Well, not everyone, because they're not all reached. But the ones that are, praising His name. And, and we get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of the privilege of worshiping God. And listen, our worship, what I want us to see in all of that is this. Our worship is intended by God to be an earthly expression of a heavenly assembly. It's supposed to, you see it in a handout. Our church, Odessa, and our weekly gatherings are intended to be an earthly outpost of a heavenly kingdom. We're an earthly outpost of a heavenly kingdom. And, and again, what we're, we're, there's coming a day where we will be perfectly and live perfectly under the reign of a God. No more sin, no more sorrow, no more sadness. And we know that day's coming, but listen, while we wait, God has designed our worship here to be a picture of what His reign and rule will look like when it comes perfectly. While we obey, when we obey, we're, we're displaying the character of the kingdom of God. We're displaying what our relationships will look like. Again, it won't be perfect, but we pursue it. What we do here is a model of the kingdom. It's an outpost. We're literally saying to the world, you want to know what the kingdom of God looks like? It looks like this. And through our lives and through serving one another and rejoicing with one another, you know what we're saying? You know what the kingdom of God looks like? It looks like this. You want to be a part? Come through the blood of Jesus. Don't forsake the blessing for lesser things. That's my point. Let our lives be fueled by redemption. Let, let our lives be fueled by the glory of God. Let, let us be a church that seeks to make much more of God's kingdom than our own. That it's a privilege to be a part of His kingdom. And when we fail, we'll encourage one another to keep on keeping on. That Christ is enough. That He's preeminent. That He's sufficient. And I pray that we would be a church whose lives just tell the world, again, a picture that Christ is worth it.